Section 1 of In Old Narragansett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Read by K.T. Slinger. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In Old Narragansett by Alice Morse Earle. A Narragansett Elopement. Four miles north of Narragansett Pier lies the Old South Ferry from whence for over a century ran ferry-boats to a landing on Conanicut Island. About a mile farther north there stands on Boston Neck an ancient, willow-shaded, gambrel-roofed, weather-beaten house, which in the latter part of the eighteenth century was the scene of a sadly romantic event. It was built by Roland Robinson in the first half of the century, in 1746, and was originally 110 feet long as the stone foundations still show. The kitchen and negro quarters have been demolished, and the present structure has a front of sixty feet. The rooms within are models of the simple style of architecture of that day. The staircase is specially beautiful, with its gracefully turned balusters and curious drop ornaments, and its deep worn steps of basswood. The walls of all the rooms are wainscoted in a substantial manner, and the fireplaces are ornamented with blue and white Dutch tiles. The heavy timbers and rafters, all cut on the place, have not sagged an inch with the weight of years. Over the fireplace in the dining room is a panel bearing a smoke-darkened painting, which represents a deer hunt that occurred on the Robinson Place while the house was being built. The riders in this picture appear to be standing in their stirrups instead of sitting on their saddles. The great attic in which the slaves are said to have slept contains now a picturesque litter of old sea chests, spinning wheels, clock reels, wool cards, flax brakes, yarn winders, saddles, and pillions, and in the beams of the roof are great iron hooks to which, it is whispered, the slaves of olden times were tied when they received their floggings. They are with much more probability the loom hooks which were used by weavers when weaving cloth on an old hand loom. The handsome great west room is known as the Lafayette Chamber, it having been occupied for some weeks by the Marquis de Lafayette during the Revolutionary War. And on panes of glass, still whole after a century's use, are the names of French officers, scratched on with their writer's diamond rings. The house abounds in cupboards, tall, narrow cupboards high up over the chimney, low, broad cupboards under the window seats, medicine cupboards and pot cupboards, triangular corner cupboards, and, in the parlor, one beautifully proportioned, apse-shaped china cupboard, which is ornamented with carved sunbursts and scalloped and serrated shelves, and is closed with glass doors to show the treasures and beauties within. But an unfortunate Hannah's chamber is the most famous cupboard of all, for in that narrow and shallow retreat a beautiful daughter of Roland Robinson hid her lover when she heard the approaching footsteps of her irascible father on the staircase leading to her room. Roland Robinson was a typical Narragansett planter, wealthy, proud, and imperious. Tall and portly, ruddy of face, he showed in his dress and carriage his great wealth and high position. A coat of fine dark cloth or velvet with silver buttons, was worn over a long yellow waistcoat with great pockets and flaps. Violet or brown velvet knee breeches with handsome top boots or silk stockings with buckled shoes. Lace frilled shirts 
a great beaver-cocked hat looped up with cords over his powdered hair. This attire gave him a comely and elegant presence. His character may be given in a few words by quoting the wife of Honorable William Hunter, minister to Brazil. She wrote in her diary sixty years ago her personal recollection of him. He was of violent passions, which was characteristic of the Robinsons, but of benevolent, noble nature. Many stories are told of his impetuous generosity and kindly impulsiveness, none being more characteristic than his action when his first cargo of slaves came from the Guinea coast. Slave dealing was such a universal practice at that date among wealthy residents of Narragansett and Newport that it was a commonplace business enterprise for Roland Robinson, when he was building his new house, to send a ship to Africa for a cargo of Negroes, intending to keep the most promising ones for his own household and farm servants, and to sell the remainder. But when the ship landed at South Ferry, and the forlorn, wretched, feeble men and women disembarked, he burst into tears and vowed that not one should be sold. He kept them all in his own household, where they were always kindly treated. He never again sent a vessel to Africa to engage in the slave trade. Though one negro of royal birth, Queen Abigail, was so happy in her Narragansett home, that with Roland Robinson's consent and his liberal assistance, she returned to her home in Africa found her son, the Negro Prince, and brought him to America, where he became Mr. Robinson's faithful body servant. The wealthy planter had other sources of income than slave trading. He owned great ships that engaged in general commerce. He had an immense dairy and made fine Rhode Island cheese from the milk of his beautiful blanket cows. It was his ambition to have 100 of these lovely black and white animals, but it is a matter of tradition that while he could keep ninety-nine readily enough, when he bought or raised the hundredth cow, one of the ninety-nine sickened and died, or was lost through accident, and thus the number still fell short. Great quantities of grain and hay did he also raise on his fertile farm, and besides the grain and cheese that he shipped to the West Indies, he also sold to the wealthy colonists many Narragansett pacers, swift horses of the first distinctively American breed, these pacers all came from one sire, Old Snip, who it is said was of Andalusian birth and was found swimming in the ocean off the coast of Africa, was hauled on board a trading ship, and was carried to Narragansett, where he was allowed to run wild on the Point Judith tract. These sure-footed pacers had a peculiar gait. They did not sway their rider from side to side, nor jolt him up and down, but permitted him to sit quietly and thus endure, without fatigue, a long journey. In those carriageless days, when nearly all travel was by saddle and pillion, the broad-backed, easy-going Narragansett pacers were in such demand that they brought high prices and proved a good source of income. Three children were born to the builder of this beautiful colonial home. William Robinson, who died in Newport in 1804, in a house on the corner of Broadway and Mann Avenue, and two daughters, Mary and Hannah. Gay festivities had these young people in the hospitable great house, especially when a demure young Quaker cousin was sent to them to live for a while in order to break up a romantic love affair of hers with a young French officer. Count Rochambeau was a guest at her father's house, 
and too many opportunities for lovemaking were found when the young Frenchman came to report to his commanding officer. Gayest and loveliest of all the beauties throughout Narragansett was fair Hannah Robinson. Unfortunate Hannah. Much testimony of her extraordinary beauty has descended to us. One story being of her meeting with crazy Harry Babcock, that reckless daredevil of a soldier whose feats of valor by land and sea were known all over Europe as well as in America. This extraordinary man, during a visit to England, was invited to the palace and introduced to the royal family. When the queen extended her hand to him to be kissed, he sprang briskly from his knees, exclaiming, May it please your majesty, in my country, when we salute a beautiful woman, we kiss her lips, not her hand. And with the words, he seized the astonished queen by the shoulders and impressed on her lips a rousing smack. Upon his return to America, he went to Narragansett for the avowed purpose of seeing the prettiest woman in Rhode Island. As he entered the parlor of Roland Robinson's home, fair Hannah rose to meet him, and the crazy colonel, as she extended her hand to greet him, dropped on his knee with a look of intense admiration, saying, in the stilted words of the times, Pray, permit one who has kissed unrebuked the lips of the proudest queen on earth to press for a moment the hand of an angel from heaven. The great wealth and luxurious manner of living of the opulent Narragansett planters was shown in no way more plainly than in the manner in which they educated their children. They spared no pains nor expense to obtain the best masters and teachers. Roland Robinson sent his daughter to Newport to receive instruction from Madame Osborne, whose fame as a teacher was known throughout America, and whose memoirs form the dullest book in the English language. At this school, Hannah met the handsome lover who was to have such an influence over her life. Pierre Simon, or Peter Simons, as was most unromantically anglicized his name, was a scion of a French Huguenot family who taught music and French in Madame Osborne's school. From the moment the young couple met, they were lovers. Both knew, however, how hopeless it was to think of obtaining Mr. Robinson's consent to a marriage which would appear to him so unequal. They therefore kept their love a secret. As the time approached for Hannah's return to her home in Narragansett, the lovers were in despair at the thought of separation, for they knew their unhappiness could not be mitigated even by the exchange of love letters. At this juncture, the young music teacher managed to obtain a position as private tutor in the family of Colonel Gardiner, who lived only two miles from Hannah's home, and who was her uncle. It can easily be divined that when once in Narragansett, the happy lovers found many opportunities of meeting, which were frequently brought about by the romantic and easygoing colonel, and were not hindered by Hannah's mother when she discovered her daughter's love affair. Though Mrs. Robinson would not give her approval, she tacitly gave her aid by helping to conceal the lovers' meetings from Roland Robinson, and it was with her knowledge that the lover came to Hannah's chamber, where he often had to be concealed in the friendly cupboard. When Peter Simons could not enter the Robinson house, he stood by his true love's window under a great lilac bush, which is still growing, sturdy and unbroken under the weight of a century of years. In the concealing shadow of the lilac bush, words of love might be whispered to the fair girl who leaned from the window, or letters might be exchanged with comparative safety. 
But true love ran no smoother in the 18th century than in the 19th. And when, one night, a fair hand dropped a tender billet into the gloom of the lilac bush, old Roland Robinson chanced to open the door of his house, and he saw the white messenger descend. Speechless with suspicion and rage, he rushed to the lilac bush and thrust his buckthorn stick into it with vigorous blows until a man ran out into the darkness, whom the irate father, in the second's glimpse, recognized as the wretched French dancing master who taught his nephews. The horrified and disgusted anger of Roland Robinson and the scene that ensued within doors can well be imagined. Little peace or happiness was there for Hannah after her father's discovery. Updike, in his history of the Narragansett Church, says of her life at this time, quote, If she walked, her movements were watched. If she rode, a servant was ordered to be in constant attendance. If a visit was contemplated, her father immediately suspected it was only a pretext for an arranged interview. And even after her departure, if the most trifling circumstance gave color to suspicion, he would immediately pursue and compel her to return. In one instance, she left home to visit her aunt in New London. Her father soon afterward discovered from his windows a vessel leaving Newport, and taking a course toward the same place. Although the vessel and the persons on board were wholly unknown to him, his jealousies were immediately aroused. Conjecturing it was Mr. Simons, intending to fulfill an arrangement previously made, he hastened to New London, arrived a few hours only after his daughter, and insisted on her instant return. No persuasions or argument could induce him to change his determination and she was compelled to return with him. End quote. Though Roland Robinson was firm in his determination and constant in his action to prevent the lovers from meeting, Hannah, the true daughter of her father, was equally determined not to give up her sweetheart. And as the Narragansett neighbors, like the rest of the world, dearly loved a lover, they gladly assisted the romance by exchanging letters and arranging meetings for the lovers. Months of harassing suspicions and angry words at home, and frightened meetings with her lover away from home, told so upon Hannah's health that her mother finally permitted to be carried into execution a long-planned scheme of elopement. It was finally arranged through the agency and assistance of a young friend of Hannah's, Miss Belden, and the ever-sentimental Colonel Uncle. Invitations for a great ball had been sent out all over Narragansett, and to many in Boston, Providence, and Newport. It was to be given by Mrs. Updike, Hannah's aunt. She lived eight miles north of Roland Robinson's home, in the old historic house which is still standing, and is now known as Cocumcussock. A portion of it was the first house or fort built by the English in Narragansett in the year 1636. Though Hannah's father was unwilling to allow his daughter out of his sight, he at last consented that both Hannah and Mary should go to their aunt's ball. They set out on horseback, accompanied by faithful Prince, the son of Queen Abigail, and were met, as had been arranged, in the thick woods on the top of Ridge Hill, by Mr. Simons with the closed carriage. Into this conveyance Hannah entered with her lover, in spite of her sister's tears and Prince's frantic appeals, and rode off to Providence where the eloping couple were married. When the news of Hannah's disobedience came to the knowledge of Roland Robinson, his rage and disgust knew no bounds. 
he forbade his family ever to communicate with hannah again and knowing well that she must have been assisted in carrying out her plans to elope he offered a large reward to anyone who would make known to him the names of the persons who had aided her escape it would seem that the fair bride should be called fortunate hannah since she managed to evade her father's vigilance and wed her ardent french lover but alas peter simons like many other hero of an elopement did not prove worthy of the great sacrifice disappointed through the implacable anger of roland robinson in the hope of obtaining any of his wealth the unprincipled husband soon neglected his lovely wife and at last deserted her for days and weeks broken-hearted alone and poor the unfortunate girl began to fail rapidly in health and spent many weary lonely days in her wretched home in providence having for her only companion her dog marcus that had been secretly sent to her by her mother from her narragansett home in the meantime her sister mary robinson had died of consumption and her mother worn out by grief had completely failed in health her father though outwardly stern and unforgiving was evidently exceedingly unhappy at the alarming news of his daughter's state of health and at last of his own accord sent to live with her and care for her the negro maid who had attended her in her happy girlhood he also conveyed to her the message that she might come home and would be warmly welcomed provided she would reveal to him the names of those who assisted in her elopement her compliance with this condition was he said absolutely imperative on receiving this message hannah wrote in answer with trembling hand a most affectionate letter stating firmly that the sentiments of honor which he himself had both taught and transmitted to her forbade her betraying the confidence of those who had aided her and offended him mr robinson eagerly opened the letter but his face changed when he read her decision and he tossed the sheet to her mother with the contemptuous remark then let the foolish thing die where she is as weeks passed the accounts of hannah's health grew more alarming still and it was evident that a fierce struggle between love and pride was taking place in the unhappy father's breast one day he rose suddenly from the dinner table jumped upon his horse and saying to his wife that he should be away from home for a day or two started on the thirty-five mile ride to providence he remained overnight at the updike farm and reached his daughter's house in providence at noon without dismounting he rapped on the door with his riding whip full of joy at the sight of her old master and at the thought of a happy reconciliation the negro maid hastened to the door with the entreaty that the welcome visitor would come at once to the poor invalid's chamber ask your mistress said roland robinson whether she is now ready to comply with her father's request to know the names of her fellow conspirators and say that if she is he will come in but on no other conditions poor hannah torn with a thousand emotions still clung to her decision not to betray her friends and her father without another word rode away to the updike farm for several weeks the stubborn and unhappy father unable to live without news of his sick daughter rode at intervals of two or three days from narragansett to providence knocked at hannah's door asked for her health and left without another word at last her friends who had helped in her elopement hearing of her father's firm decision which barred all reconciliation 
insisted upon her revealing to him their names and the true story and when roland robinson next rode up to his daughter's door he received the welcome message that she would see him and tell him all when he entered that barren chamber all thought of discovering her closely guarded secret fled at once from his thoughts as he gazed at the wasted form of the once beautiful girl he knelt by her bedside and wept aloud in anguish and remorse as soon as he recovered his composure he at once rode to his home from whence he dispatched to providence in a fast sailing sloop four of his strongest and trustiest negro men and a hand litter for the sick which was at that time of rough roads and few carriages an indispensable article in every well-appointed narragansett household dusty travel-stained and tired without waiting for a night's rest he at once jumped upon a fresh horse and attended by prince who was mounted and led a horse for hannah's maid poor roland robinson started for the last time to ride to his sick daughter's door upon a lovely morning in june the four strong negroes bearing the litter upon which lay the sick girl with her father and faithful prince riding on either side slowly wended their way to poor hannah's early home those who know the beauty of sunny narragansett in early june when the roads are everywhere overhung with the graceful sweet-scented blossoms of slender locust trees when the roadsides are one luxuriant blooming garden of lovely wild flowers and the fields are sweet with rich clover can feel the strong and painful contrast which the sad figure of the dying girl must have formed to the glowing life around when the spot was reached on ridge hill where hannah had seen for the last time her sister mary prince saw that she covered her face with her hands and cried one other pathetic incident is told by shepherd tom of the homeward journey though on every side lay a glory of spring flowers poor hannah with thoughts that no one can fathom asked her father to pick for her and lay on her breast a withered sprig of the pale blossom called life everlasting which had bloomed and died the year before at last the painful journey was ended of the sad meeting between mother and daughter and of the sorrowful faces of the faithful servants it is needless to write in detail that night a whippoorwill the bird believed throughout narragansett to be the harbinger of death perched on the lilac bush under the window of the chamber where once again slept unfortunate hannah and throughout the long dark hours sounded gloomily in the father's ears the sad ominous cry of whippoorwill whippoorwill the following day poor hannah died again did four strong men bear on their shoulders the form of the once beautiful girl as they passed under the branches of the sweet-scented lilac to the grave near the old house where still is shown the headstone that marks the last resting place of unfortunate hannah robinson end of section one